how are you and what are you up to? How am I and what am I up to? Um, you know, that varies at different points throughout this year. Um, as far as how am I, you know, I've had some very good and high points in 2020, even through the pandemic, uh, especially the month or so coming out of my facial feminization surgery in late August into September. So those were you know, those were good times, a little nerve wracking, especially leading up to it, because, you know, you're trying to stay away from the pandemic and you're trying to get to surgery and, you know, healthy and happy. And, you know, fortunately, I was able to do that. Um, but now, you know, we're in December. Uh, what, what's the date here? The 12th? Yes, December 12th. December 12th. And we're going into the dark time of the year, especially, you know, you're in the Midwest. I'm in upstate New York. So it's dark here <laughs> for long periods of time. And, you know, and, you know, the mood goes up and down, um, you know, and I'm, I had a moment today even where I just had this feeling I had to kind of acknowledge it, let it go by and have a little cry and here I am. And I feel a lot better because of that. So it's just, it is what it is, but you know, overall I'm in a good spot. Um, you know, I have two beautiful daughters. I have, you know, for the ups and downs of my relationship with my ex-wife, you know, we still care for each other. We, you know, we still live together in separate, you know, separate rooms within the house still, but, you know, we make things work for the benefit of our family and to make sure, you know, we provide our kids with the best possible life they can have at this point, especially it's a, it's been important this year. What was the second part of that again? The second part is what are you up to? What am I up to? Uh, the big thing I'm up to right now is I just wrapped up my um, second semester technically at uh, State University of New York, Brockport, where I'm working on my master's of science in mental health counseling. That is something that I started thinking about. Um, early in my transition and something that because of life career and everything else I put off and put off and um, but I finally just finished my second semester so that that takes up a lot of time uh, I do the podcast as we were talking about before with uh, my my co-host Penny Sterling and that's called Transformation Thursday um, you know we tend to focus on trans and LGBTQ related issues but we also talk about other stuff uh, we talk about elections we talk about news coverage and so we're not always dealing with trans stuff, but I think with, um, you know, what's on the horizon with transgender rights, I think, you know, I think that's probably going to take up a bigger portion of our time on the show. And then I just work part-time over at a local Starbucks and actually um, got my oldest daughter, helped my oldest daughter get an interview there. And she got, has a job here at a local Starbucks as well. So that's my life in a nutshell. First Avenue that I'd love to talk about is and whether or not you're willing to talk about it. This might be difficult. Um, you talk about how you still live with your ex-wife and your daughters, so you still have a family unit, even if it's yep. one piece of it is an ex-wife. Would you be willing to talk about how that relationship has grown and changed through the last few years? I always look at this question um, because I've been asked it before from, I always try to answer it from my own perspective because I, it's hard to, you, you can't jump into somebody else's head. So yeah. the way that I see that as, you know, the relationship has changed with my ex-wife is that, you know, you, you go through the spot of, and I don't know where you're at with yours, but you know, you're, you're cruising a long life, you know, 17 years into a marriage, you know, you have your 
routines, you have your practices, you have your family life situation down. We, we had our ups and downs, I think more ups and downs. And, you know, and all of a sudden I throw in this curveball of, you know, hey, by the way, I think I have, you know, at first it was a cross dresser, then it was gender fluid, then, you know, eventually it moved to trans. So, you know, it, you throw, you throw these huge curveballs in and, you know, I think she honestly has dealt with them as best as she can. I'm so impatient with these things. And, you know, I was always two, three, four steps ahead of her on these things. And I, I had done the research. I, I knew who I was and I was moving and progressing much faster than she was on it to get to the point of where we at. And I've told this to her, you know, to, to be able to be friends and to be able to live together and be able to do what's best for our family is it's an amazing Testament to both of us, but I would, you know, I would say for her, it's even more of a Testament because, you know, she, she had further to go than I did, you know, in the, all the way around, you know, and, you know, both of us were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, I wasn't a member when we met. I was in the process of converting. She had already been a member. So, you know, you throw in that religious background that teaches a very binary gender-specific roles in life for men and women, you know, that's a hard thing for, you know, for, for conservative religious people to handle. And, you know, wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect. I definitely have some regrets in how I handled the situation. And I've spoken with her about that. And, but yet I think overall we're in a good spot, you know, as best as we can be right now. Did she use this opportunity to um, try to make changes in her own life out of curiosity? Um, yeah, I, I need, yeah, that once again, that's a question I, I have to answer from my external observations of her. Um, you know, she's definitely changed and evolved and, you know, and those are things that I'm going to leave it at that. Anything beyond that, I think it's into some personal stuff that, you know, I think is best for her to discuss. How has, how has your emotional, um, state of mind, I suppose, how has that gone as things have changed within your relationship? <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, and yeah, that's, they, they've changed and that, there, there, there's an ebb and flow with that too. It's mostly been positive. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's one side of it and this is my feeling on it that, you know, at some levels I feel abandoned because of, you know, you have a spouse and they're supposed to be with you forever and ever, especially within the confines and doctrines of the Mormon church. But at the same time, you know, and I've spoken about this too, I broke the social contract. You know, I, I'm the one that, you know, because that marriage was built on cisgender heterosexual, you know, relationship. I'm the one that broke that social contract. So the same time as I feel abandoned, she can turn around and has essentially the same thing to me. So, you know, it's understanding there's that there's, there's this dual dynamic that's in place and how each couple that, you know, navigates this is, is up to them and in how they do this individually within and as a partnership within their relationship. So there's always an ebb and flow to that. But overall, I, you know, I'm in a better spot mentally than what I was coming up on four years ago when I started this journey. So yeah, but there's not to say there aren't moments where I don't get sad about it, um, because I still do. Um, and there's 
but there's also moments where I'm so happy and content with who I am as a person that, and this is the way I put this, this is the extreme, this is the mind fuck of being transgender, especially when you transition in your 40s or with a family and you've been married for a while. This is the mind fuck. My ultimate happiness and contentness on one hand makes me happy and makes me not want to commit suicide or not commit. I hate, I try not to use that term, but prevents me from dying by suicide. Yes. Yep. It gives, it gives you a path to move forward that you want to continue to move forward. Yes. Yes. And so, and that's, and I remember in the, uh, late summer 2017, I was I was driving down to Pittsburgh to see a friend. I was listening to a bunch of podcasts. Um, and they had a few transgender women on as guests, um, different episodes. But one of them said, you know, being transgender and LDS almost killed me. You know, I was thinking about suicide. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I didn't get to that point. And then like half a second later, I'm like, oh, I did get to that point. You know, I didn't get to it. I didn't get to an attempt. Yes. But as you know, you and I have spoken, and as we know about through some of the, um, you were on that QP, QPR training a couple of weeks ago. So yes. going, th- I had the ideation, I had the plan, I had the means, I had all that stuff to make that happen. But my garage was a mess, so I wasn't able to pull the car in. I mean, oh. it, it's great that we can laugh and chuckle about it yes, now, but. It it is. It's and and it's it's the small stuff. I mean, you're 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 dealing with these huge, gigantic issues. But the garage was a mess. But the garage was a mess. Yeah, but the garage was a mess. And that's one reason why I don't clean it up now. <laughs> it's 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 a memorial, to, so to speak. It's it's on, almost there as as a way to to help you to realize that. There's still things to do, which is kind of interesting too. Well, as our as our friend who conducted that QPR training said, um, she she told me a couple of years ago. She's like, Amy, don't clean the garage. <laughs> just 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 get in, get out, get what you need, but make sure you can never pull a car in. I'm like, okay, that's good advice. <laughs> so, um, as a follow up, then too, and and I'm sorry, this has been a bit relationship heavy. Um, does it feel like the previous relationship, quote unquote, failed? No, no, that, that, that wasn't, our marriage wasn't a failure. I mean, we have two beautiful kids. We have, you know, 17, you know, years of active marriage. We're still technically married. No. Uh-uh. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And then the reason why is because, yeah, there's so much, like, you know, and I, this goes back to some things, you know, I hear this a lot in the trans community. Oh, I wish I would have known then. And, you know, you, I could get hung up on that. Mm-hmm. And and I could go down that spiral of shoulda, coulda, woulda. But it doesn't do me any good. And, and then I, you know, then I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't have the life that I do. I wouldn't have the knowledge that I do. I mean, I bring into my experience now 45 years of going through life as somebody that I wasn't. And if I can use that to pay it forward, especially as I work on my mental health counseling degree and as I start working towards private practice, I mean, that's a gift I can give to future generations of trans people and their families. That sounds great. Sounds really good. Especially since um, at least myself walking toward that question a couple of times, it's 
always thought to myself, well, people do change and people have the ability to define what relationships are and people have the ability to, to um, understand how their standing is with, with other people. And um, even if a relationship has grown out of or a relationship is, is found to be something changed. And, and, and I find that hearing about your relationship and how it's changed, it might not necessarily be the change that either one of you wanted, especially walking into this process, but it sounds like it's the change that both of you needed, especially at the end of all of this. Yeah, and that change is the hard part because, you know, I changed, you know, there, there, I mean, there, of course, there's elements of us that continue throughout our life and continue through transition, but then also coming into congruence with who you are as a person. Also, in my case, brought a lot of confidence. Um, sometimes, you know, it's been said that maybe I'm a little bit more stuck up, I'm a little bit more conceited, but I also know what I want and I know how to go after it. And for some people in your lives that have been around you for a long time and they haven't seen that from you previously, that's a really hard adjustment to make to that person's confidence and willing to go after what they want. Basically, I mean, let's, I hate this term, but I mean, transition is selfish. It's the most selfish thing we will ever do for ourselves, it, but it is also the greatest act of self-care we can do for ourselves. So that type of determination, if somebody hasn't seen that in you before, is can be a little off-putting, you know, and I've seen that from friends, I've seen that from loved ones and family, that there's, there's at some level, there's some distance that has grown between us because they're not used to seeing that type of confidence out of, out of me. And that comes back to, you know, you talk about feelings, you know, feelings, you know, three weeks into me being on hormones, I knew I was me. That's I had a, I had a feeling driving down the road in front of my house, a couple miles south of me at a stoplight on a bright Saturday, August afternoon. And I had this feeling come over me of like, I am me. I am who I am supposed to be. I know I've had this feeling before inside, but I couldn't place when or where I've had it before. But I've just had this feeling of me. And that was three weeks after starting estradiol. And and those and those early, you know, my research now, especially understanding, you know, um, mental health and understanding how some of these hormones work, that's that's the psychological side of it is actually some of the first areas that our bodies start to change. Yes. Yes. And so I've had those, you know, and but then also then that self-doubt comes in, you know, because now in our society, we're dealing so much with anti-trans crap on every side of us. You're like, okay, it's, you know, is this really who I am? But then I have to remember back to that Saturday in August where I was, you know, it's that very first taste. That very, that very first. Yeah. And it's, and if I, and if I remember back to that, and if I dig down to that memory, it's still there. Awesome. Oh my goodness. It's, that must be um, the most helpful anchor you could possibly have to yourself is to have a memory like that, uh, like a, a, an, um, an impulse, not an impulse, uh, just a, 
a piece of yourself where you can anchor yeah. yourself in and say, this is, this is who I am because I touched it. I touched it way back when, and I knew it. And as I continue to walk so slowly into the direction of, of where you need to be, it's, it's still there that you can reach back and say this right here. Yeah. But it would be really easy to forget that and just fall into self-pity and, you know, and go down, you know, I'm some, go down i i call it a spiral because that's the way it feels to me just to get in that spiral of negative emotion and but you know but when i look up out of the spiral that's what i think of that's what i see and i see that bright sunny saturday august afternoon you probably remember the day too don't you the dates uh not exactly the date but i do know it was the first saturday of august in 2018 so close i can go look it up if i need to that's been like the third or fourth something around there so um you talked about how um, you've changed as far as um, the people around you seeing a much more confidence and much more assertive Amy than they may have been used to um, knowing you previously. Yep. And so many things have changed in five years. I don't even really want the catalog per se. I just want you to talk about how much um, the emotions that you feel. So sorry about that. Let me rephrase. I want you to talk about the emotions that you feel when, as you've come to find the same. You know, it comes in, it comes in bits and pieces. It doesn't come all at one time. You know, this is one thing where I think I did a good job with my transition. And so I want to, I want to focus on those side, those sides of it. You know, I do have some regrets related to this and I don't want to talk about that side of it too much, but at least on the positive side, you know, I did find a counselor. I did find communities of support. I did find friends who supported me. Um, I did come out to my spouse at the time. Um, probably should have came out to her earlier, but that's that's one of the regrets that you look at and say, okay, hindsight, yeah, I probably should have put her on the front side of that, not, not a counselor, not some friends maybe. The part of that being that, you know, I... I told people I found support, you know, in person and online. Don't, we, we can't discount the online support because, you know, it's, you know, at least the Williams Center, uh, Williams Law Center at the University of California, Los Angeles, you know, their estimate from a few years back says, you know, 0.6% of the population is trans. I think they're low on that. Um, but, you know, we, for us to find community, a lot of times in any type of size or number, we need to do that online. It's this it's, it's easy, it's easier. So, I built those networks around me, and I took time to figure out: Am I a you know? I don't use this term anymore, but am I a cross dresser? Because that was the term I started with, right or wrong. Um, but that evolved to gender fluid, and then you know, eventually it got to transgender, and he, where I'm at today. But the point is, is like, I started that process of coming out in February of 2017. I didn't start hormones until July of 2018. Right or wrong? I don't know. I think more right than wrong. That I, I, it was very deliberate that I sought counseling. I sought help. I, you know, worked through this over a 16 month period before I just jumped on hormones. I think you and I both know people within our communities that are like, you know, wake up, you know, I'm trans and within a month or two, you know, they're on hormones. And if, if it works for them, yes, great. Yep. 
that was not going to be the right thing for me. And so, you know, in two, but in late 2017, I actually made a decision. And I think this is probably one of the more faithful decisions I made was to um, change primary care physicians. I changed from a suburban, um, just plain, you know, family practice mm-hmm. with, you know, probably limited experience with trans and LGBTQ healthcare. And Rochester has a significant LGBTQ population for the size of our area. And we have a very good clinic that specializes in LGBTQ healthcare. And I, and I, and I transferred to them knowing that, you know, as I walk through this journey, I'm going to need somebody who can provide me affirming care, you know, whatever my decision ends up being as far as hormones. Cause I mean, that was in the back of my mind, but at the same time, I wanted to be sure. And I don't know how you can ever be sure about such a thing. (laughs) It's such a nebulous thing. Oh, I want to make sure I'm really sure. Oh, yeah, well, then you need to try it. I mean, but my doctor on the first or second visit suggested that I try hormones, but I'm like, nah, let's try anti-anxiety. Let's try depression medications. But yeah, you know, six, seven months later, I'm still running through my head the same things. You know, this really isn't what's working for me. And so eventually that's when I decided to get on the hormones. And that's when, you know, and that's when that's when I was actually able to taper off of the anxiety and depression meds. Now that doesn't work for everybody, and it doesn't work like that for everybody. Even on HRTs, a lot of people still stay on their medications for anxiety, depression, or whatever else. But for me, I was able to taper down and you know only be on hormones. I'm on a few other things right now, but I think that's more related to the pandemic and anxieties and other issues with that. So. And it, yes, finding a community, especially in the middle of all of this. That's actually, you know, yeah. And, you know, and I did find community not only in the trans community and some of the gender expansive um, crowds here in where I live in upstate New York, but I also found community by performing stand-up comedy regionally here and in London. And so I was actually able to, you know, find some places with that were allies within, you know, LGBTQ or LG, LG or just allied communities where I was able to find a place and develop friendships. And, you know, with the pandemic this year, that's all been ripped away. So that's actually been, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be a professional comedian, but at the same time, I do miss a lot of the people and the space that I had there to be me in a cisgender, you know, in a cisgender environment. So, yeah, I, I, I miss that. So how, how long would you feel that you've been on your journey as far as uh, gender transition? Uh, if you want to say, if you want to get really philosophical about it, you could probably say my whole life. Um, but that's looking back and saying, okay, I missed some things along the way. Um, you know, when I was younger, my mom's brought this up a couple of times in passing, but I don't push her on it because I don't want to upset her. But you know, I cross-dressed as a kid. I played with, it played dress up with the girl cousins all the time. And in fact, a few years ago, when I started the coming out process, one of my cousins I met for dinner, I hadn't seen her in three decades. One of the first things out of her mouth was, oh, I remember when you were a kid, you always loved to play dress up. You were the first one to run downstairs and put on a dress. I'm like, well, that hasn't changed. But you know, but at the same time, but then like a lot of us, you know, I ended up playing hockey and becoming involved in different things. And, you know, that, that side of things just 
diminished, but never went away. And so, you know, I remember being 10, 11, maybe, and we, my parents, one of my parents had a work friend and we went over to their house, we were playing and played dress up with their kids, you know, with their daughters around 10, 11, of course, got caught, might never saw them again, you know, and I remember my dad freaking out about that, you know, not freaking, freaking out, but you know, it, it was just, but that was the expectation, boys don't do this stuff. And then I broke my back in high school and I missed a quarter of my junior year. And I had a lot of free time at home during the day. So the, there may or may not, may, more may were clothes that, you know, were for the opposite gender that ended up fitting me. And I would, you know, wear them when nobody else was home. And so, it, you know, so I could look back and say, from that perspective, it's always been there. It played a role in my first marriage um, and why we ended up breaking up. Uh, actually, my first ex actually messaged me earlier this year and basically confirmed it. Um, so that was kind of cathartic in a weird way, but at the same time, you know, you, then I wasn't, I didn't grow up Mormon. So, you know, I ended up moving to Arizona, becoming Mormon. And, you know, and at the time I was actually starting to cross dress a little bit more. And I, you know, Mormonism provides you, you know, if you want to stay in a closet, it, it worked for a long time. It did. I mean, I went from essentially 2000 to or 99, one or two, late 99, early, you know, 2000 area, roughly to 2006, you know, so it's oppressed it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you, yeah, but if you really want to get into, you know, like the last, you know, four years, probably like if you just say, okay, like gender, like looking at this critically from a gender transition, like socially, medically, you know, surgically, all that stuff. Yeah. I would say we're coming up on we're now we're right at four years. I think late 2016, early 2017 is when I really started dealing with this. And within those four years, and especially up till even today, how much are you able to just inhabit yourself as Amy and how much, um, I don't say time, but, but how much consideration do you actively give to the fact that you're trans? I wish I didn't have to give any time to it. <laughs> yes. I, and that's, and that's the shame part of it is that for me, it would just be nice just to disappear and slip into society and just live my life. But, you know, we alluded to, or we mentioned this a little bit ago, but there's this culture war that's being fought right now over people like us and our identities and if we're valid or not. Yes. Our, our existence says we're valid. And so, don't it's hard to have this conversation on twitter or facebook with people mm -hmm, because exactly. i've had so much more success in my day-to-day -day interactions with people my you know podcast because it's it's i think we do our podcast well you've listened to our podcast yes where we can have conversations with people where we can show our cards and be honest to who we are and so, you know, from that perspective, this is a battle that has to be fought. You and I will probably be long gone and hopefully future generations behind us will um, be able to live in peace. I wish I, I wish I didn't have to think about it at all, but I do. And so, you know, and I, you know, when I look at mental health counseling in my field that I'm going into, you know, we're woefully underrepresented 
there are very few trans people who go into clinical psychology, mental health counseling, social work. I mean, there are some, but from an academic standpoint, there's so much more research out there on other topics. And then if you look at it even further, you know, if there is gender research out there related to the trans and non-binary community, it's specifically mostly generalized to the white community. Um, So there also needs to be a lot more research done for our brothers and sisters and non-binary pals who are, you know, come from populations of color. Yes. And so, you know, I just did a research paper and trying to find stuff on trans people of color. They found one or two articles. It, it was really shocking how little there really is out there on this, on these topics. And there's more and more research that goes on to it. But the problem we run into with this is, is that our foes just say, no, you're wrong. That's all yeah. they say. No, you're wrong. Yeah. Science says X, Y, nothing else. Well, There's, no, no, that now you're just missing the whole intersex conversation. So how do you, how do you have a conversation with somebody when they just say, no, you're wrong. You're not valid. How do you have that conversation? I don't know. And even, you know, if you listen to this week's podcast episode, we actually brought that up. You know, you just, you can only do so much with so many people. Exactly. And there's so many excuses that they can bring up that effectively invalidates what you're saying, whether or not it's religion, whether or not it's social excuses, whether well, or not it's... They're, they're, they're excuses, no. That, that, that's what it comes down to is no. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, so it's like, and even, so you, you mentioned religion, so let's, let's talk about religion. You say, well, no, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, that's the fucking most horseshit thing in the world to ever say to somebody because we know it's not true. Mm-hmm. And number two, there, the, so much of the language, and this should resonate with Mormons, so much of the language in the Bible has been mistranslated or misconstrued or different versions and different, you know, if you look at the New International Version, American Version of the Bible, whatever translation you're using, it's all translation. Yes. And, you know, I listened to a podcast episode called the Bible Bash podcast last week, you know, it's talking about one of the chapters in Hosea. Hosea, Hosea, excuse me, where the the language revolving around God in the Hebrew is super, super non-gendered, but yet we always, you know, over the years, this tradition has come down as male-gendered God. The great I am. That's Yeah. <laughs> and so, but you look at this, especially in this chapter in Hosea, where it's like, no, nah, it's, it's actually, if you dig, dig down into the Hebrew... You know, and how do we, I know you, you and I have a little bit, probably different perspective, but I look up at the sky and I go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe in a, I don't believe if, if there is a God, they're definitely non-binary. They don't have a body. And I don't think they really care too much about what me being transgender or you being trans. I don't, I don't think God's that involved in our daily lives. Or if God is that involved, then the then, then why is there childhood cancer? Of- God, God should worry a lot more about childhood cancer than me being trans. That's mm-hmm. just you know, there is yeah, God's got his priorities messed up if he's worried about trans people. <laughs> Especially since we're trying to set our priorities straight. That's that's the part of it, right? We're, yeah. I mean, think about yourself five years ago. Think about yourself now. Do you feel like you have your priorities so much more straight than you used to? You know, 
it's not really directed to this question, but if you would ask me five years ago if I'm trans, I would have said no. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Me too. No, I'm not trans. That comparison's hard because at the time I was making decisions based on, you know, my reality of who I thought I was at that time. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, and I, a, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't rich, but I had a decent paying job and I had, you know, opportunities, you know, probably within that field, you know, but that changed. Um, you know, I came out and for whatever reason, ended up with a job change. But I would say my priorities where they're at now, you know, this goes back to, you know, I think that I'm, you know, I'm really good at this counseling thing. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm learning how to listen. I'm learning how to understand in, you know, I think the the term that we use and I've used this in our podcast a couple of weeks ago and, I've, and I use it a lot in school is unconditional positive regard. I have to assume that whoever I'm speaking with has best intentions at heart. Even our foes, you know, even though I think they're misguided, I, I think there's this element, I think they're trying to protect society, children, or whoever it is from people like us, but we don't need protection. You know, we need protection from them more than the other way around. I think, I think I'm on track with where I'm headed professionally with my goals and with my life. I think I have a really clear vision and you know my goal is to be able to help trans kids and their families navigate this space or gender diverse as well and you know I spoke about this on the podcast this week is like not every kid that I'm going to come across as a mental health counselor is going to transition yeah absolutely not every kid I come across should transition mm-hmm and it's actually my job critically to make sure that gender transformation or however you want to transition rather is the last item that we explore all the mental health issues that we explore physical health issues that we explore all these other issues and through process of elimination if a kid decides they really want to transition working with their family or as they get to you know old enough to make these decisions on their own that should be really the last thing. And I think that's what I ended up doing going through my transition. You know, I, that's why it took me a year and a half to get from coming out, starting coming out to being on hormones, because I wanted it to, I wanted to eliminate every other possibility. Much less the how many years previous, correct? <laughs> correct. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and our critics think, you know, a lot of times we just want to get on hormones and, but I don't, I don't think that's responsible. And there's, you know, this conversation within society right now, why are there so many young women that are wanting to transition? I don't know. That's a valid question. I would, I would love to do a lot of research and try to understand that. It's just the research needs to be done responsibly, correctly, and it can't harm the people who it's trying to research. And it seems yeah. like all three of those aren't being met. Yeah, I'd love to know why, why is there this like huge percentage of ink? Because usually it was like 50, 50, you know, transition mm -hmm. male to female, female to male. But now, you know, in the teens, there are way more um, female to male people that are seeking out transition. So I think that that's something that needs to be answered, but from a scientific standpoint. Exactly. And it very well could be something that is, is more prevalent in uh, brains of um assigned female at birth compared to assigned male at birth. It, but without research, we wouldn't even know. 
without it it could be in the branch it could be societal pressures it could be you know bullying on the internet it could it could be it could be a wide variety of things but we just we don't have an answer yet we just but we still want to make sure you know as i look at this as going into mental health counseling down the road is saying as i work through my training as, as i work through getting involved in practice it's like i want to provide the right level of care to the right people at the right time yes yeah especially the right time piece too and yeah. and that's the thing is for some people i don't know if this might continue in the future or not um obviously i transitioned um my early 40s i i think you were mid 40s when you started yeah i'm 48 now Yep. And so um, in some ways it's like, well, I managed to live at least a, a big chunk of my life in, in one mode. And it took me that long to kind of get to a space to say, you know what, this is, this is what I need to do. The however, though, is I feel like it still took me that long to get into that space because of society around me. I still feel that way. And I don't know whether or not you would agree or disagree with that statement. Oh, society um, around us? Yeah, that, Jesus Christ. When I say society, I'm even talking about, um, and it's uh, even inadvertently, whether or not it's family, whether or not it's school, whether or not it's growing up. I grew up in the, the 80s and 90s. You grew up just a couple years before that. And and yeah, I mean, it, it was what it was. And it was not a great place to, to literally put your hand up and say, I'm having thoughts. Because that's where it starts. And that's the, the problem is many times over there, are, obviously there's a population of people that put their hands up and say, already no, it's like that. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I was not that space, but I'm finding much more, especially as I keep going that I am anyway, you know? And so you have the people who are very polarized and say, absolutely, I know I'm, I'm, I'm transgender. And so I need this support. But then you have so many people that are just kind of trying to make it through life because they're expected to make it through as a certain way and not even exploring this aspect of it. And was that something that was similar in your situation as well? Well, you, you brought up when we grew up. Let's go back. So when I came out to my sister, who's three years younger than I am, she's like, oh, why didn't you come out to me in the 80s? It was 1989. Who the fuck's coming out in 1989? Nobody. You know, and I, I mean, I, I took out the F word for her, but I'm like, no, I wasn't coming out to you in 1989. Are you kidding me? I don't remember a kid in high school. Must have been freshman. Yeah, somewhere in high school. Actually, I want to say a little bit later because just the one of the memories coming back. But he admitted to masturbating and he got bullied. Yes. I mean, he admitted, I mean, everybody masturbates pretty much. The people that don't are crazy. I mean, they're the ones that are going to go blind. Um, sorry, bad joke. But, okay, so I graduated from high school in 1990. What happened related to gay people throughout the 80s? Oh, yes, it was the AIDS epidemic. The age of AIDS epidemic. Yep. Who is coming out in a high school situation in suburban St. Paul, Minnesota, that's 99% white, right? Who is coming out and let alone, you know, nobody, nobody came out in high school. And even out of my high school class of 500, 500 people, I still only know of two other people in my class or who, who 
admit being in the LGBTQ population. Two gay guys and me. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. So there's probably a whole bunch of other ones that just haven't admitted it or, you know, they just live in the closet or they're not on social media. So I don't know. So you got to figure out of that. So in 19, in the eighties, we have the AIDS epidemic. Then the nineties things start to moderate a little bit more. And then we get into the fight for marriage equality as we get into the late nineties and, you know, we have domestic partnerships and that starts to become a bigger deal in corporate America And so then, you know, that's where the acceleration really started to pick up with the acceptance of, especially gay rights. Um, And I would say that, and, you know, and I was just reading a piece today though, but a lot of people within the marriage equality and gay rights movement specifically ignored trans rights and because they're like, well, that's going to be a different fight for a different day. Yeah. That fight's here now. And a lot of those people are turning their back on us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, if, if, if the right succeeds in squashing transgender rights, they're going after the lesbians, the gays, and the bi people next. Mm-hmm. Make, yeah. make no mistake about it. Mm-hmm. They're next. This, our war is their war. And we fought their war with them, for them, and we started their war. The yeah. trans community started their war. And we've been in the trenches with them way before. <laughs> I mean, if you look back at the history of Stonewall, it's black trans women that started this movement. And I'm going to be very honest, very specific. White gay men need to pull their heads out of their asses and realize the privilege they have gained and help us. And when they do that, they will find that everything, they won't lose rights. They won't lose anything. This isn't a zero sum game. This is truly a thing that when we raise the water level for everybody, everybody gets better. Everybody's situation improves. Yep. And so we need gay white men, especially ones with money now, who are in their 50s and 60s to realize that our battle is their battle. Does it almost feel like they're fighting the last battle still as far as AIDS and as far as um, no, they, got, they got their power and their money now. So they, they're so when power and money collide and privilege, they, they, they always side on the power. They always, most, if you look at social movements, people that pick up power and privilege well, mm-hmm. once they they will they will side on the side of power, yeah, and privilege, and so that's where they're at. The last 20, 30 years, they've gained their place in society. Now it's our turn, and they're not so willing to help like we were for them. Powerful, powerful. Yeah, that's my opinion, but I think it's I think it's one that I've seen floating out there on the twitters. So. What does life look like for you for the next year? And what do you think will happen in the world at large for the next year? It's probably a controversial statement, but hopefully I get a vaccine. Um, I know which one I want. I want the Moderna one. Um, I've actually had some friends that have, uh, I shouldn't say friends, but social media acquaintances that have participated. I've read the Moderna research paper. 
Um, I just think that one's the better one, I think for effectiveness and lower side effects. So number one, getting past this pandemic. Um, and number two, being able, yeah, so, so vaccine, we need to get back to some sense of normalcy in life. Um, you know, as long as that happens and we get past this, um, coronavirus pandemic we're still going to be dealing with coronavirus don't get me wrong yes it's not going to go away we're still dealing with the flu pandemic this of 1918 1920 so i mean those strains are still out there so the big thing is getting getting the vaccine like i said i want the moderna one i don't own stock in them but I think once that happens, then I think next year for me continues to look like college still working through my graduate school program, um, beginning, um, let's see, where will I be practicum in next fall. So actually getting into a counseling setting with real clients and real Perfect. individuals. And then, you know, that will lead me into 2022 where, you know, knock on my Formica desk here or whatever particle board I have below me. Um, that, you know, I, puts me in a good position to graduate. Um, Relationship-wise, you know, just maintain the status quo here at home. Sounds pleasant. It really does. And trust me, I would love to get through this pandemic too. That, that's my, that's and, my queer lifestyle. Yeah. Go, going to grad school and being a family person. That's my queer lifestyle. Well, between that and, 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 and bringing a lot of attention to various topics too. I'm, I'm very, I've been uh, an avid listener of your podcast. I, I really have enjoyed many of the topics that you've brought forth. Um, and especially to, um, to know that it takes a lot of prep work to, to really bring more of those topics up, to be able to um, address them in a way that people find them interesting and engaging, even for I mean, the amount of time that you have is, is longer, for instance, almost double, for instance, than say John Oliver. And for, for you to be able to still engage people's attention within that, that time frame and, and, and bring up pertinent, useful topics is, is a challenge, is it not? Yeah, but I think we do a great job of keeping it entertained. And I think one of the things that we do on our show that for better or worse is we're not confrontational with our guests. Mm-hmm. Of course, we really haven't had anybody on our show who is not somebody that we wouldn't want to have on and who we, I don't think we're going to be having JK Rowling on anytime soon. So, I mean, that might be one where we might get in, you know, if we had somebody with a turfy background, yeah, we'll probably get in their face and we'll, that would become confrontational. But we pride our show on being able to provide long form interviews and to give a subject and a person the opportunity and the platform to be able to tell their story. There, there just aren't many places in our society that where that can be done. You know, even if you look at public radio that prides itself on their lo- longer interviews, I mean, you're not going to get a 45 to 45 minute to an hour interview out of NPR. No. And if you do, it's going to be cut up over weeks. Oh, yes. And so, you know, we're, we're able to provide that platform for a lot of people. And I think, you know, we've had some 
I don't want to say famous. I don't think we haven't had anybody famous, but we've been able, because of our platform, we've had some prominent people here locally from Rochester on, including mm-hmm. Rachel Barnhart, Evan Dawson, and Adam Chodak recently. And I also think, you know, we had Liam Hackett on last year, and we're talking about having um, somebody from his organization back on. So, you know, we, we've been able to... I think so when people investigate coming on our podcast, they they're going to listen to an episode and say, oh, okay, you know, yeah, it's trans related trans theme, but we also do some other topics, but yet we're not confrontational. We're giving a platform to people and, you know, you're going to have that opportunity to tell your story. So I think that's part of the reason why. And we, Penny and I do it. Um, Penny and I have figured out our system of, you know, making it funny, making it, you know, interesting and, being able to ask the right questions at the right time of our guests. Um, you, you haven't been on our podcast, but we've maybe you've heard this, like Penny and I will kind of do these things or like me, you know, like, you know, like we will say, we'll use signals yeah. and messaging. We've actually had one, we have, we had one guest on there. Like, I don't understand. Are you asking for a fastball or a curveball? So <laughs> like, sorry. That this is our this is our symbols to each other. So, so yeah. So, I, well, I kind of feel like I'm rambling right now on that topic. But yeah, we just I like the podcast for that reason. Both and Penny guessing. and I, yeah, Penny and I both have broadcasting backgrounds. I have a my my undergraduate is in radio, TV, film. Penny's worked in television since Christ was a child. So, <laughs> the two thousand year old woman, huh? I didn't say that. It's a comedy routine. I know. I'm just joking. Um, and, and the other half of it is, so you're not going to have Bill O'Reilly on his comeback tour, correct? Nope. <laughs> you know, if I could, you know, I wouldn't, I just, I don't, you know, Bill O'Reilly or somebody else, like, you know, from, from the right like that, I don't, I don't know what we could say to them. I don't know what conversation for so many of those folks, it's just about saying no and screaming, you know. Tucker Carlson, you know, on, on, you know, on Fox news this week, just, it's just, it's red herrings, half truths and full lies when they talk about trans people. And unfortunately in our social media environment and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, somebody sees a news story and says, Oh, you know, trans, trans girls, you know, AK, you know, biological boys shouldn't be allowed to compete with girls that passes a sniff test for so many people and they just keep scrolling. Yes. How, how do you, how do you, how do you combat that? I don't know. Well, and, and how do you, how do you manage a discourse in this day and age when half the discourse can just be a 45 second soundbite? Like again, Tucker Carlson can, can give out a 45 second soundbite. He has about, like you said, four half or zero truths in it. And it takes, 15 minutes to literally go through and, and not only debunk it, but then on top of that, by, by that time, his audience has already said, well, you know what? I believe him more. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we, we played a 34 second clip on, I think you, we, if you listen to this week's episode, you, we played that part of it, played a 34 second clip from Tucker Carlson and we dissected it, but it took us minutes to dissect mm-hmm. the bullshit. It does. And so how can, how can you have a discourse at this point in this day and age? Yeah. So and, and, yeah, the discourse is, the discourse is done the old fashioned way that, that that's the truth of the matter. It, it's done the old fashioned way. 
it's it's done live in person. It's done in conversations. You can even do it through Zoom at some level, but it's it's done. You know, it's what it's like. It, okay, so I work in a fast food environment right now. I'm not going to say. Um, did I already say? Yeah, I think I already yeah. mentioned where. Yeah. yeah. So I work at Starbucks, and I've said it on the podcast. But I've noticed people like that, especially before my more before my facial surgery than after that of like oh like they kind of you know that first time they see you or interact with you they give you a weird look and they're like they're like oh they're trans and they don't know but then it's like you just talk to people and you get to know them and you just be human and that's one of the things that starbucks is like we want you to talk to the people at the drive-thru window and get to know them at some level and you know and but you know i've seen nobody's at has come up to the drive and said oh you know the first time i met you i thought you were really strange but i've also seen them warm up to me and we've had different conversations over time and you know by, by me also understanding that the people in front of me are humans and they're not that they're more complex and whatever you know like there's one guy that comes through a lot he's he's an army recruiter and he came through one day and i had a few minutes to talk to him i'm like oh you must have a tough job with everything going on you know and we just we just talked about his job and his life and everything and like he lit up and now he's like hey amy how you doing he you know pops in at the drive-thru hears my voice oh hey amy you took a few days off where have you been i'm like oh I just had some things going on with the family no big deal it's just being human well and that's in some ways that goes back to the discourse too is the fact that you get people that literally are effectively i don't want to come out and say it 100 but talking about people as being subhuman if that makes sense where these people don't deserve respect these people don't deserve rights these people don't deserve and so at some point or another it almost dehumanizes a person the discourse is literally about whether or not they're even allowed to be themselves whether or not they're allowed to seek the treatments they need whether or not they're allowed to do the the activities they want to do especially like again going to sports for instance if that's something that was a part of their character and now they can't do it. And so it, it has an, a, a knock-on impact, not only just for the, the discourse, but for the people that literally live in discourse. Well, that, that's the interesting thing too. It's like, you know, I don't want to get into the weeds of this. <laughs> We're a bit far afield, aren't we? <laughs> no, but you know, you know, I look at the clock here and, you know, we've been talking for a while. Yes, we have. Um, I have a timer in the upper right of my screen. You know, you know, when you asked me about this in the email or through text or how, you know, as we were putting this together, you know, but if I look back, you know, if we get philosophical about some things, you know, if, if I were to look at Amy three years ago and communicate back to her, trust the process. Mm -hmm. trust your feelings if this is especially for us that are doing this in our 40s don't get don't get wrapped up in shoulda coulda wouldaves we've already discussed that 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 will just eat you alive the universe doesn't give the gift of being trans mm -hmm. to too many people and the universe gives the gift of transition to us in our 40s to even fewer people understand the gift that you have if you're transitioning later in life, to have that accumulated life experience, understand what you have and be able to take that gift and turn it and repurpose your life for something that's really authentically and congruently yours. 
and move forward from that position with love and hope in your heart and trust that that feeling is what's going to carry you through for the rest of your life. Because every day is a gift. You know, I had somebody in my my ex's side of the family say, well, you only got 20, 30 years to live anyway. Why even bother transitioning? Well, that's the reason to transition, quite honestly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and so understand that gift that we have, but also going back to, as we were talking about people have, you know, like I had a 45-year-old friend of mine that I know from, you know, I used to be a volunteer firefighter. I I resigned from the fire department, not because I'm trans, believe, you know, but because I'm going to grad school full-time. I just didn't have time for the training. But he's like, you know, Amy, my kids, no gender diverse and trans kids, no big deal to them. But he's like, oh, I've never met somebody our age that's done it. So we're really in this unique position to provide some real life acceptance and understanding of being trans to a generation or generations, especially Gen X and older, yes, who have never had to interact with LGBTQ people. LGBTQ people have always been here, but because of the way post, especially post-World War II society was, it was pushed to the pushed to the fringes of our culture. And now we're just starting to work our way back in. Much less again, losing how many um, LGBTQ because of the epidemic that happened in the 80s yeah. and 90s. Yeah. So it was, it was a double whammy. Yeah, it was. And so that's, you know, that's what we're, I hate to say the term, but yeah, we're, a lot of us are unicorns <laughs> and not for anything. We're, we're just, we're just, you know, but at the same time, I don't, I probably don't like the unicorn analogy, but you know, but because there's so much sexual connotation around that in our society these days, but for a lot of people, you know, in their forties and fifties, especially in the trans side of things, we're probably the only ones they've ever met or know. And so we need to understand that and, and, you know, and appreciate that at some level and say, okay, sometimes, you know, especially cisgender people are going to make some pretty big assumptions and gaps when it comes to us. It's a little bit of wrestling in the background. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. I got dishes in the background and noise too. So anyway. And honestly, this was great. I would love to do this another time. Yeah. Well, I hope you have enough stuff you can use in there. 